Good morning. Just moving all the many accoutrements that are up here. <laughs> I'm Julie Coleman. I'm part of the, worship, uh, the uh, teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. And uh, delighted to see you all here this morning. We're going to be continuing today our series on the marks of maturity. The purpose of the series is to give us a vision as to where God is taking us. Paul promises in uh, Philippians 1.6 that I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God is in the process of raising us up to be mature, uh, up to maturity. And when he's finished, he's going to ultimately be we will be ultimately conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so why we're doing this series is to give us a vision as to where he's taking us. One of the things that does mark a mature Christian, one of the marks that we're going to be talking about this morning, that sets us apart from the world for sure, is our ability to live in an attitude of peace, no matter what life is throwing at us. Now, I wonder how many of us in this audience have got that one mastered. Anybody? Not so easy, is it? Um, and so uh, we're going to be looking this morning at coping with life on a daily basis developing an eternal mindset that makes a difference. So what is an eternal mindset? Well, it's a decision to think beyond the present, to think bigger than our limited perception, and to accept we cannot fully understand God. You know, God has equipped us with potential to do that. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we have that capability. Jesus knew that developing that capability, um, an eternal mindset, would be crucial to survival for his disciples. So he made it his business to preach about the eternal kingdom of God. So this morning, we're going to take a look at his kingdom message, and in doing so, get a glimpse of the eternal for ourselves. Seeing the world as Jesus saw it is very crucial to us to um, developing an eternal mindset. So let's take a look at two verses in Luke that I pulled that shows how important this was to Jesus. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching what? The kingdom of God. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So the kingdom of God message was really big. And the people that have been working with me through Luke in our Monday Night Bible Study, we have seen the kingdom of God over and over and over again because it's really kind of one of the, the big themes of the book of Luke and the other Gospels as well, especially Matthew. Of course, he calls it the kingdom of heaven, I think. <laughs> A little bit different, but it's the same kingdom. Okay, um, and so we're going to be uh, looking today. Let's pray and ask God's help for this. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for uh, what it means to us in our daily living. And I just pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way. And this is a kingdom you love. This is a kingdom that is your purpose uh, in the world and in our lives personally. And I just ask, Lord, that it would just, uh, the truth of your kingdom would strike our hearts and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what was this kingdom message that Jesus preached? Well, we're going to look at four key components today that I've kind of summed up everything I've learned about the kingdom as we've gone through um, the Gospel of Luke. And 
Uh, look at what Jesus revealed about the kingdom as he taught, and then talk about the implications of those things in us and our mindset today. So the first component, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is greater than you can imagine. What we see is not all there to the kingdom. I remember one time I was trying to explain the Trinity to my fifth graders, and I said, now this is a very hard thing to understand. And one of the kids goes, oh, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I said, oh, good for you. There's a whole lot of things in the Bible we don't understand. We do, our, we do it. We take our best shot, and that's what I'm doing today. Every once in a while, God allows humans a glimpse of the unseen world. We saw a few weeks ago, actually a couple months ago now, um, that Jacob was given uh, that vision. In a stair he saw a staircase, and angels were descending and ascending, showing the, the involvement with, of heaven with earth. Um, in Matthew, uh, we, we see another instance, many instances. The go Gospels actually mention angels quite a few times. Um, they delivered messages from God. They ministered to Jesus. And they stood ready for action. And one of those memorable occasions was in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus was being arrested and Peter started swinging the sword, he says, do you not think, do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's 12,000 angels, my friends, if he just said the word. There's a lot going on that we don't see. You know, there's a, a fascinating uh, modern-day account of an angel sighting that I read, and it's just struck with me so much that when I, I let somebody borrow the book and they never returned it, I bought myself another copy. Um, this is written by a woman named Olive Fleming Lyfield. Uh, her husband was Pete Fleming, and Pete Fleming was one of the five missionaries that was killed in uh, Ecuador in the 50s. Uh, Jim Elliott was one of those um, missionaries. And so <clears throat> what happens is she goes back on the 25th anniversary of their deaths. Now, by that time, the tribe has converted to Christianity. And so, look at my glasses here so I make sure I read it, read it right. But um, the, the, uh, the tribe has converted to Christianity, and so they go and visit the tribe, and they hear about their faith. And then they end up going to the beach with the same natives that murdered her husband. And they've got this campfire on the beach, and then the people told the story of that day from their point of view, what they saw. And it really turned into a fascinating account. It's worth the whole book. <laughs> <clears throat> Rachel is another one of the missionaries, Rachel Saint. Her husband was also a missionary, and she had worked with the tribe for some time. They heard singing, Rachel said, puzzled. Walt and I looked at each other. Who was singing? The five men? Rachel asked them my question. Dawa's answer was, no, no, their dead bodies were lying on the beach. So who was singing? But Rachel was concentrating too deeply to answer. Dawa pointed behind us and then swept her arm over the trees as she spoke. Something had happened over the jungles. It was too critical a time for us to break in with questions. Finally, there was a pause. Rachel, herself confounded, then proceeded to tell us a story we could hardly comprehend, let alone believed. After the men were killed, Dawa in the woods and Kimo on the beach heard singing, Rachel said. As they looked up over the tops of the trees, they saw a large group of people. They were all singing, and it looked like there were, there were hundreds of flashlights. Flashlights? Rachel explained, that's the only word for bright lights that they know. 
But they said it was very bright and flashing, and then suddenly it disappeared. A host of people singing? Flashing lights? What did Kimo and Dawa seen? What did the people look like? Were, were they talking about angels? We looked to Rachel for an explanation, but the story surprised her as much as it did us. She had never heard this before. It was so unexpected, so far beyond her own experience. I'm skipping a bunch, but then she says, as we climbed back into the canoe, I wondered, had God chosen to display the light of his glory, a glimpse of the unseen, to the fierce and primitive office as they stood on this very beach? Was it possible that he had used the men's fatal mistake as his opportunity to break through to those office who had been bound by such incredible darkness and evil? Dawit later indicated so. She told Angel that the vision was what first led her to believe that there was a God. And when Betty and Rachel and Dayuma, who had become a Christian, eventually arrived, Dawa had become the first Christian in the tribe. Such a fabulous story. God allowing the unseen to be seen just for that little brief moment, but it made the difference to an entire tribe of people. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about the unseen. Just glimpses here and there because it's not supposed to be our focus. We need to understand, that, though, that God is understand and at work in unseen and unimaginable ways. In Isaiah, he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We're limited, friends, in our our perception. We're human. We may not be able to see God at work, but as we learn to trust in his power and in his wisdom, we develop into eternal thinkers. When we think eternally, we think bigger. We accept that we can't possibly have him all figured out. There's so much more wisdom to the wisdom and to the power of, of God, so much more to his kingdom more than we can humanly understand. Um, my friend Brian McLaren wrote in one of his books, whatever great lofty thoughts you can think about God, he is bigger. Hebrews tells us this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. There is more than what we can see, and a mature Christian accepts and believes that reality. So that's the first component. The second component of God's kingdom is that it's a kingdom that's defined by God's economy. Now, not too long ago, Bill and I were discussing uh, the kingdom of God, and he said, you know, people call it the upside-down kingdom of God, but how it really should be described is the right-side-up kingdom. Loved that. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a title of my book one day, a book one day, because he's absolutely right. You see, when God created the world, it was perfect. Everything functioned as he created it to until that first sin. Then what happened? The world was flipped upside down. That everything that God thought was good, man did not. He no longer functioned under God's economy. His wisdom and his principles were turned on their heads. They were distorted. They were perverted by Satan, the world, and the flesh. So when Jesus preached the kingdom of God, it might have seemed like he was preaching something upside down. So foreign was it to man's way of thinking. 
But what he was preaching was actually how this world was going to be turned right side up again. When, and what he preached was going to guide us back to what the world and what we were re originally created to do, to reflect his glory. So to understand God's economy is to be clear on three things, the identity, the focus, and the service of the kingdom. In short, it's really understanding God's economy, God's values. Okay? So the first God, the value of God is uh, where we get our identity. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, Jesus said, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, in Roman times, who you were known to be was a result of family relationships, your immediate family, your extended family, and even your closest friends. Your people, in other words, were your identity. So to give up your identity, or your life, was to take your identity from somewhere else. Jesus was telling his disciples that from this point forward, they were going to take their identity from him. Um, it would no longer be tied up into their people. It would be tied up in one person, Jesus Christ. So in God's economy, our identity is in Jesus. We follow his example. We study his words. We, and the hope that we have for ourselves is in the fact that God is transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. So an eternal mindset rejects identity in this world with its pride, its self-promotion, and, and asks us to embrace the identity of Jesus Christ second value of God's is that it's in our focus and priorities. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus said, and all these things will be added to you. You know, he said this quote within the context of talking about God's care for his people. You've just given two examples, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And he said, if God so carefully cares for them, will he not even take better care of you? In other words, forget that stuff. Put your energy and your focus into loving him and loving what he loves. And Jesus ended it with, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. When you have an eternal mindset, a kingdom mindset, you focus on God and his purpose and trust him for the rest. And finally, a third value in God's economy is this. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That's a tough one to swallow, but Jesus led the way in this. He taught it and he lived it. He came not as a king who demanded to be served, but as a humble servant. He lived a life that, that gave rather than took. He ministered to the needy. He taught with patience for his disciples who were forever missing the point. And in his example and his words, he showed us God's economy. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our identity, our focus, and our service center around Jesus Christ in, in God's kingdom. It's God's economy. A third aspect of the kingdom that Jesus preached is that the kingdom is filled with people who had nothing to offer. Entering the kingdom is not about being a good person. It's not about impressing people with our pious acts, our self-sacrifice. Entrance in the kingdom was actually the opposite. 
It's through simply believing what God has said. Remember Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Trust, faith, belief. Don't anybody tell you that those are different things. They're all from the very same Greek word, pistuo. And they mean this, basically the same thing. Um, and so that's what. Faith is the essential quality to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke of this same aspect when he was in his Sermon on his Mount. It was one of his very earliest sermons, and he said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit, as opposed to the Internet, <laughs> which was kind of interesting when I was looking for pictures on this, does not mean materially poor. It's not talking about poverty, physical poverty. Poor in spirit means to understand that you have nothing to bring to the table. You, we can't understand our need for a savior until we understand that we will always be inadequate. So poor in spirit is knowing how inadequate we are. When we cry out to him for mercy because without him we're hopeless, that's poor in spirit. So it's why Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't talking about material possessions. What he was talking about was being self-sufficient. When you're rich, you don't have to worry about providing for yourself or, or your family. It's, it's taken care of. You've got it, a nest egg there. But God wants us to not be self-sufficient. He wants us to understand our need for our Savior. Kingdom citizens, oh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Kingdom citizens have understood and acknowledged it's not our own holiness that makes us acceptable to God that has saved us. Paul wrote in Philippians, May I be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, on the basis of faith. It's like Jesus took his uniform, his righteousness, and he took it off and fitted us into it. We're wearing his righteousness, so it's nothing we can take credit for at all. We're saved through believing what Christ has done for us. We're qualified because of the righteousness of Christ, not our own. And through his Holy Spirit, we're empowered to live and we're equipped to serve. Everything about Living in the kingdom is about what God has done for us. Our qualification is in Christ alone. It's all from God. And finally, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is already and still not yet. When Jesus came, he established God's kingdom on earth. He came, he delivered us from the consequences of sin, he made a relationship with God possible, but there's so much more to come. It's a little bit like World War II. On June 6, 1944, 156,000 troops, uh, American, British, and Canadian forces, landed on five beaches along the coastline of France. It was a 50-mile stretch of, of coastline in several beaches. The fighting was intense, and more than 4,000 Allied troops lost their lives in the D-Day invasion, and thousands more were wounded or missing. It took a full week before the beaches were uh, secure. And then in the ensuing weeks, what happened was the Allies started moving inland. They liberated Paris, but their, their goal was to get to Berlin. The successful landing had turned the tide of the war. 
Well, like that famous invasion, Jesus came to this earth, which was under the dominion of Satan, and he took the beachhead. The kingdom's domain was established in the hearts of those who followed him, but there's much more to come. The, the, the invasion continues to grow. The kingdom is growing and will do so till Jesus returns. And then finally, one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The kingdom is already, but it's still not yet. We view the future with conviction that everything is headed somewhere. An eternal viewpoint keeps our eye on God's promises like the heroes of faith did in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. An eternal mindset never loses sight of God's, the fulfillment of God's promises. So that's the kingdom of God in a very quick nutshell. So what? How should an acknowledgement of these facets of God's kingdom change the way we're living in the here and now? Well, what we see, what's happening in our country at this time and in, even in our world, it's easy to feel despair. And the same can go for our personal lives as well, and I'm sure you've all been there. Family issues, financial concerns, emotional struggles, fear, anxiety, it can paralyze us and it can rule our heads and our emotions. Perhaps you came this morning burdened by concerns or maybe overwhelmed by what's lying ahead. Maybe you're feeling guilty about maybe letting your family down or even that you've let God down. Well, God doesn't want us to live under these burdens. He wants us to understand that we're a part of something bigger. He wants us to keep his kingdom principles in mind. So let's do a quick review. His kingdom is greater than you can imagine. He's at work in ways that we cannot see or understand. The whole world is being moving toward the end, which will be his, the fulfillment of all he's promised. Second, his kingdom is defined by his economy. He's turning our world right side up again. Humility now wins over pride. Love now wins over the need for power. We need to live in the light of that. As James wrote, humble yourself in the, light of, in the, in the uh, sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. His kingdom, thirdly, is filled with people who, just like you, had nothing to author, offer. We're not under, an, under any pressure at any time to oppress anyone or God. Everyone, everything has been done for us. Grace and mercy saved us and will continue to sustain our lives even now. We never need to shrink in guilt from him again. The righteousness we wear is not our own anyway. It's because of what Christ has given you. And finally, his kingdom is already, but still not yet. We already know the end of the story. The good guy wins. Christ is going to return, and when he does, he's going to rule this earth in perfect love, power, and goodness. Jesus talked to his disciples, and we found this very interesting in our Luke study, about the signs that would prelude his return to earth. He listed huge, scary events, worldwide disasters that would have the whole earth, all men, shaking in their boots. It's going to be unmistakable and horrific. Make no mistake. But to the disciples 
who were to be living with an eternal mindset, this is what he told them. When these things, these horrible, horrific things, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Isn't that fabulous? I love it. That's the kind of perspective we have that will change our reaction to even those horrific events if we happen to be living at that time. What we know about the eternal kingdom should inform how we think and how we live. So choose the lens in which you're going to view your life and the world around you. Will you focus on what is scary, overwhelming, or discouraging? Or will you choose to have an eternal mindset, a mature mindset, allowing the truths you know about the kingdom to temper your view and your reaction to all these things? Your mindset will determine the ruling force in your life. So choose wisely. In closing, I want to tell you a little story about a man named Arthur Stace. Uh, for the first half of his life, he lived his life as a drunk and a criminal. He was a, a guy in Sydney, Australia. Then one day, he met Jesus at a church meeting. It was conducted for men who were down and out. Uh, the sermon to which he responded captured his passion and imagination with one word, eternity. That one word changed everything for him. He believed in Jesus that day, and he began to live out his life uh, in the reality of God's kingdom. Then the Lord put it on Arthur's heart to write that life-changing word, eternity, all over the city of Sydney. Each morning, he'd get up before dawn, have his coffee, and start wandering through the streets. And every 100 yards or so, in crayon, he would stoop down and write eternity, in the same copper plate script with a crayon. Year after year, Arthur wrote his message an estimated half million times. Well, long after his death, that word began to continue to inspire the residents of Sydney. And on December 31st, 1999, when the whole world was focused on the first major city to cross over into millennium, um, uh, this is what they saw. At the stroke of midnight, the word eternity was spelled out in lights on the bridge for the whole world to see. One simple word impacted millions with its power. Eternity. It's a powerful word. In it holds our hope, our purpose, our strength, living in light of eternity is really living in light of reality because it exists. And when we have an eternal mindset, we're on board with God's plans and his purposes. And we will have our greatest impact when we think and live aligned with God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for what you've done already to establish it here on earth. We thank you for the ground Christ took when he died for our sins, redeeming us and forgiving us and giving us the um, authority to enter into your kingdom. And now, Lord, as we wait for the total fulfillment of your promises, and we know that will happen because you do not lie, 
that as we wait, that we will live in the reality of those facts. Help us, God, to be humble people in light of how we were given a chance to be a part of your kingdom, given, not taken. And we just thank you, God, for uh, all you have done to ch start to change the world back to right side up. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help us all to live our lives in light of these beautiful promises and truths and that we would have an eternal mindset for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.